Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The unavoidable and the unchangeable divine attribute of our powerful God is His sovereignty. You know, the word sovereign means a supreme ruler. A supreme ruler. You know, many kings and rulers have reigned in human history. They had their time of monarchy and realm, and they had their time of power and authority. But there has always been a supreme ruler who has always been ruling and controlling over us and even over them. And he will forevermore, for he is the God of the Word of God. You know, the Word of God describes our God this way in his second coming in Revelation 19.16. It says, And he had on his vesture... And on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Paul also wrote in 1 Timothy 6.15, which in his time he shall show, who is the blessed and only continent, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, uh, as we think about election in 2016, and a lot of people are getting prepared for that, a lot of people are you know, uh, vouching their names and trying to get their campaign going. And we're hoping for a good leader. We're hoping for a a leader who fears the Lord. And uh, we're hoping for, uh, you know, uh, even Congress in the days to come to fear the Lord. And uh, we want some good leadership in this country. And uh, we want some more peace and prosperity in this country. But as we think about the Word of God, we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that when he comes back, truly, it will be peaceful. And truly, it will be perfect. And as much as we have some hope for some things in this lifetime, I believe the greatest hope comes from our sovereign king who controls all things and who is over all. And we need to recognize that this morning as Christians. We don't serve men, we serve God. And we don't have hope concerning what men can do. We have hope concerning what God can do. And we need to have that conviction in our hearts to truly serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, the Bible also says in Revelation 19, 6, and as we think about the scripture, he has that great powerful position, and he has every right to rule and reign. It says, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many water, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You know, our God is all-powerful, that's what the Bible is saying. And because he is all-powerful, he is able to control all. And uh, with that, let's make it personal this morning. He's able to control your life. He's able to control mine. He is sovereign over our lives. He is omnipotent to reign over your life today. And God is in full control. He has never made a mistake. He has never said to himself, oops, No, never. He has never been surprised. He has never been late. He has never not known. He has never wondered. He has never worried. He has never not known what to do. You know, all the things that we, you know, always uh, have these problems with, God doesn't have these. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful, and he is an omnipotent God who reigns. And this sovereign power of God is reigning over your life and my life today. And many 
can question the Lord asking why, and sometimes our flesh could do that, and, and we could ask, does he know what he is doing? And with our finite and limited mind, we question him these things. I think about an example in the late 80s. There was a flight going from New York to Chicago. As the passengers lined up to enter the plane, there was a gentleman, a pastor named Edward E. Elliott, who was running late to board. He was running late from connecting flight from Philadelphia. One of his friends who parted from, the past, uh, from, from this pastor from the connection witnessed him barely making it to the gate of his next flight to Chicago with just few seconds left. He said these words concerning his friend, Elliot. I saw him dashing forward to the gate. Pastor Elliot was probably relieved that he made the flight that day, but what was coming was unpredictable. The flight never made it to Chicago. The plane crashed with over 250 passengers with no survivors that day. And many of his colleagues and friends wondered if only Pastor Elliot, if only Pastor Elliot was just a few minutes late to that terminal gate, maybe he wouldn't have gone on board on that plane, and he would be with us. But Mrs. Elliot, knowing God's sovereign plan, said these words, and I quote, At the time, Edward didn't know he was indeed running to heaven. He was running to heaven. You know, with this brief example in mind, when we fully trust Christ, now understand, because we never can, and uh, I know there's some things that we could understand that God shows us from the Word of God and maybe some experiences in life, but we cannot understand everything in life. But we could fully trust our God. That's, what, that's where faith comes in. And God's sovereign plan, our perspective and our decisions in our journey becomes more godly and more spiritual if we fully trust him. Charles Spurgeon once wrote concerning the sovereignty of God, and I quote, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most averse circumstances and the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought to more earnestly contend to than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God, and his right to sit upon that throne, for it is God upon that throne whom we And what a great statement by Charles Spurgeon. And I like what he said in the beginning. The greatest comfort is the truth that God is sovereign and that he controls all. And he knows what's going on in our lives. And all the affliction and all the sufferings have been anointed by God Almighty for good. For the Bible says, for all things work together for good to them that love God. You know, man wants to devise work and control his own way of salvation and eternal life as well. And as we think about salvation, I believe there's a great relation in sovereignty. I think many people are trying to get themselves to go to heaven on their own. And what they need to do is to kneel and trust the sovereignty of God's salvation. They might be thinking, I don't understand 
why Christ had to die. I don't understand what the blood is for. I don't understand. And uh, with all the things that going on and went on in the Old Testament, and I don't understand what uh, the church is here for, and they might not understand all these different things. And, and, uh, but what they need to hear is the gospel of, our sal- uh, gospel of the uh, salvation of God, and, and they need to just trust uh, Jesus Christ and knowing that he does forgive and knowing that he does cleanse their sins away and knowing that he does give the gift of eternal life. And a lot of different reasonings that people may go through try to understand all the things of salvation, but God still calls them to faith no matter what. That is the bottom line. I think about a person that I got to lead to Christ in Gardena several years back, and he said he had a lot of questions about the Bible. He's been, he had been dealing with his uh, uh, sister and uh, a lot of things that he questioned, and at the end, in tears in his eye, and he told me, it's all about faith, isn't it? And I said, it is. It's not you trying to understand everything. It's about you trusting Jesus. And thank God in tears, he trusted Christ that day. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have never trusted Christ that way, I want to encourage you to trust Christ. And it's not experiences, it's not anything that you could come up with in your own lifetime that could take you to go to heaven. No, you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that is the bottom line. You need to trust him. That he does forgive your sins and that he could take you to go to heaven. And as Christians, we have trust in his sovereign plan of salvation, and thank God we have done so. And, and more so as children, we must trust him more and more. If we have trusted him for yesterdays, and I think we need to trust him not only for the future, but also we need to trust him for the present time. In the mid-17th century, Oliver Cromwell sent his secretary to the continent on the some important state business. One night during the travels, he found he was unable to sleep. According to an old custom, a servant slept in his room, and that evening the servant was sleeping soundly. In the middle of the night, the secretary woke the man up to tell the servant that he could not rest because I'm so afraid something will go wrong with the diplomatic mission. Master, said the valet, or the servant, may I ask you a question or two? Of course. Did God rule the world before we were born? Most surely he did, said the master. And will he rule it after we are dead? Certainly he will. And the servant replied, then, Master, why not let him rule the present too? And I think we have a good grasp about what God has done in the past. And we could fully trust in what he has done. And also we could fully trust in knowing what he will do in the future, the second coming, and, and uh, how we have a millennial kingdom, and how we have eternal life, and we, are, we have our ticket to go to heaven, and, and uh, we thank God for all these things, but... How about this present time today? Do you trust God in his sovereignty? And God is in control. He will always will be. And we need to trust him with that even today. And Moses in the Old Testament experienced a great sovereignty of God in his life. And I believe Moses recognized over and over that God was in control. And it was his work that mattered. And for he wrote in Psalm 90, verse 17, I believe it's on the screen, it says here, and Moses is writing this psalm, and beautiful psalm, by the way. And it, and it reads, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hand, establish thou it. What did Moses recognize as he was writing this psalm? He said, all the things that we do, it's really doesn't mean anything unless you establish it, Lord, unless you're controlling it. 
unless you're sovereign over our lives. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I, I think we need to really be like Moses as he wrote Psalm 90 there. And really let the Lord establish our lives. And, and our job is to just to trust him. And our job is to just fully have faith in him because he knows what he is doing. So what can we learn about God's sovereignty, uh, God's sovereignty from Moses' testimony today? I'd like to share with you three comforting attributes of God's sovereignty over Moses' life that we all need to consider. First of all, the journey of God's sovereign purpose. The journey of God's sovereign purpose. Exodus 2, and I believe you have it in your notes as well, in verse 3. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and dubbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flag by the river's brink. And, uh, you know, uh, Moses, he was born at a time where they were under heavy persecution, and, and the children were to be, uh, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to be executed in the sense and to be dead. And so uh, as we think about Moses' time here, uh, Moses is preserved by Jochebed and Jochebed had the faith in knowing that she could keep this baby, and she was hiding it from the kingdom of Pharaoh. And verse 9, and uh, uh, as we think about uh, how she uh, uh, laid uh, the basket and, and, and with slime and dub and, 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 and put it on the riverbank, and she left the baby there, uh, amazingly, God's sovereign plan worked, and, and Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, after Pharaoh found the baby, take this child away and nurse it for me, for I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, he became her son, and she called his name Moses, and she, sa- and she said, because I drew him out of the water. And so, as we think about Moses' life being spared, even in, when he was a babe, uh, as we think about his beginning, God's hands of protection and purpose was upon him. And God knew Moses, even as a babe, and had plans and purpose for him. And as we think about this part of the story of Moses' life, hey, God knew you when you were born. Let me go further than that. God knew you when you were in your mother's womb. Let me go further than that. God knew you even before you existed. I love what God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, verse 4 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee, before I formed thee, that's before conception, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. Wow, so God knew Jeremiah before he even was thought about by the parents. God knew Jeremiah when he was in his mother's womb. And God knew that he would be the prophet. He would be a prophet for the kingdom of Judah. The weeping prophet. And a prophet who wrote a wonderful, wonderful book in the Old Testament concerning the future prophecy of the other nation like Babylon. And God used him in a mighty way. And, and as we think about Jeremiah's life, hey, his, God's plan and God's purpose and God's sovereignty did not just come forward when Jeremiah was a child. No, it came forward even before Jeremiah existed. And as we think about Paul as well, Paul also wrote of himself in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when it pleased God, 
When? Before Paul was born. Who separated me from the, my mother's womb and called me by his grace to, ve- to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. As we think about that wonderful, wonderful testimony, Paul is recognizing the fact that even before he was born, that God knew that he would be saved and that he would be apostle to the Gentiles. Let's go back to salvation right there. So God knew that Paul will be saved. When Paul was persecuting the church, when Paul was putting people to death, when Paul was putting families in prison, when Paul was zealous for his, I guess, own righteousness, God knew Paul would be saved. And ladies and gentlemen, as we think about our salvation today, God knew that you would be saved too. And that God knew what he had for you and, and what he had planned for you even today. And, and God has great things for you in the future. And, and God knows a purpose uh, uh, that, uh, that he has ordained even before the foundation of the world. And, and, uh, and as we think about the testimony of these men, and, and they knew it in themselves that even they were born, before they were born, even before they were thought of, that God's sovereign purpose was working. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you're not here by accident this morning. Your life is not by accident. I hope the abortionists will recognize that. Amen. And uh, your uh, uh, salvation was not by accident. You being church today is not by accident. You having a spouse and a family today is not by accident. It's all by God's purpose and God's grace. So don't take it lightly. Don't abuse God's gracious purpose in your life. And don't throw in the towel. And there is a purpose for you as much as Moses had and much as Jeremiah had and much as Paul had, and God is not the respecter of person. God loves you as much as you love Jeremiah, Paul, and Moses, and he has a great purpose for you. And do not ever, ever abuse God's gracious purpose in your life. Around 5.30 this morning, my wife woke me up. Uh, does your wife do that sometimes? Because she wants to talk. And... Uh, I remember whew, the first, uh, she didn't do this in the honeymoon, but I remember the first night we went into our apartment after the honeymoon, and it was like 3.30, and she started shoving me. What is that? Let me talk to you. I looked up at the clock, and I said, it's 3.30 in the morning. And uh, she said, let me talk to you. So we talked for an hour, and I thought to myself, oh, so this is what marriage is all about. I didn't know that. And, uh, you know, when ladies need to talk, they need to talk. So around 5.30, she, you know, she just nudged me. I, she was walking around, and I kind of looked over. I said, honey, what's wrong? And, uh, and uh, she came over, and uh, she kind of talked to me about something. And, and then she, uh, I think she needed a hug, a hug. And so I know when she needs a hug, so I gave her a hug. And uh, so, and, I, and, <laughs> and then she looked over to me, and, uh, and she said, you know, I'm teaching a, a uh, Sunday school lesson today in the nursery. And I'm teaching on Zacchaeus. And, said, uh, and she said, uh, there's a wonderful thought. I thought about it as I studied through Zacchaeus. And uh, she said, you know, God knew Zacchaeus' name. And uh, you know, that really spoke to my heart that morning at 5.30. Because that was the first time Jesus met Zacchaeus on that tree. He turns around, Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house. 
Isn't that amazing? And, uh, you know, little things like that from the Bible encourage us to know that God knows what he's doing in our lives. And God knows your name. God knows everyone's name. Our omnipotent God reigns. Don't you ever dare, don't you ever dare to think that he doesn't care about you. Don't you ever dare to think that he has no purpose for you. Don't you ever dare to think that he has no plan for you. No. God knows you by name. And he loves you. And with that in mind, you know, you might be busy going to work and providing for your family, climbing the corporate ladder and saving up for retirement. But how about God's purpose? I think God's purpose in all those things too. But I think there's a specific purpose as well. A Scotchman demonstrated a new game to President Ulysses Grant, and we know it as golf. I don't know if anybody likes golf here this morning, and uh, I casually like golf sometimes. Carefully placing the ball on the tee, he took a mighty swing, the Scotchman did, before President Ulysses Grant. The the club hit the turf and scattered the dirt all over President's beard and surrounding vicinity, and while the ball passively waited on the tee. Again, the Scotsman swung, and again he missed. And the president patiently waited through six tries and quietly stated, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise in the game, but I failed to see the purpose of the ball. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as we think about that small illustration, you know, you could be living a life like that, swinging and swinging and swinging and being busy, 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 but never hitting the ball. Never really knowing God's will, God's purpose. And you fail to see it. And ladies and gentlemen, let's not live like that. There is a cost for you. I like what David said before he went to Goliath. Is there not a cost? And your life is worth living today and all the things that you do faithfully. Why? Because there is a cost, and that cause, his name is Jesus Christ. You know, he died on that cross for you for a reason. He died on that cross to forgive your sins so that you could live here in the 21st century and and so that you could serve him and so that you could serve him through this church and so you could maybe invite someone to church and maybe lead him to Christ and maybe even also uh, 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 raise a godly family in the 21st century. And by the way, the world is getting more wicked. It's getting more evil day by day. And God needs to shine, and God wants to shine through the church, and God wants to shine through your life. But you're shunning it because you think that God doesn't care about your life. You think there's no purpose for your life. You think there's no plan for your life. No, there is a purpose for you. And uh, I want to encourage you today. As much as God preserved Moses' life, God has preserved your life, even up to this point, so that he to truly establish his purpose and his plan. So with that, let's not miss God's purpose. God has preserved your life for a reason. Number two, uh, the journey of God's sovereign punctuality. It's a journey of God's sovereign punctuality. I had to ask you this, but uh, what is the time right now, Brother Mike? No, I know that time, but what's the time on your clock there? 24. Okay, great. Last week, guess what? We were, that somebody, whoever changed that clock, did not change it right. 
And uh, I was so encouraged at the end of the service. I was like 10.30. Oh, wow, great. We're right on time. But it was actually 10.50. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we got out really late. And, uh, and uh, the song director, uh, <laughs> uh, the Korean minister, came up to me. Did you know you were like 20 minutes late today? I said, I didn't know that. And, uh, but today I am on time. Amen? All right. So with that. But there's nothing wrong with long preaching. Amen? All right. But anyways, <laughs> number two, the journey of God's sovereign punctuality. You know, Acts chapter 7, verse 30, you talk about Moses. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. You know, there's a testimony of Moses in the book of Acts that we need to know. And uh, in Acts chapter 7, I think it's on the screen. And when he was full 40 years old, so Moses, Moses is 40 years old. Okay, think about him. Picture him as a 40-year-old man. And he came to his heart to his visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. I'm sure many of you know the story that uh, he saw uh, one of his uh, brethren and, and one of the Israelites getting persecuted. So he kills an Egyptian at the age of 40. In verse 25, he perp- so he supposed his brethren would have understood, meaning the Israelites, how that God by his hand would deliver them. But what does the Bible say? They understood not. So Moses thought they would understand how God would deliver the Israelites by the leadership of Moses. That's what Moses thought, that they would understand, but they did not understand. So Moses is 40 years old when this occurs. He thought it was the right timing for God to deliver his people. But was it the right timing, yes or no? It was not. This was 40 years early. God promised Abraham in Genesis 15. Look on the screen with me in verse 13. This is, this is many years before. And he said to Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. Talking about Egypt. And they shall afflict them how many years? 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and after the word shall they come out with great substance. Now, some people might say, according to Exodus 12, verse 40, that it was 430 when they got out of Egypt. It was 430 years. They, they were in the land of Egypt for 430 years. And, and the book of Genesis, God says there'll be 400 years. But you need to recognize that in Genesis 15, God says they'll be afflicted for 400 years. In Exodus 12, the Bible says they sojourn for 430 years. So what's the difference, the 30 years? What's the 30 years for? Where is that at? Well, it's the time that they were not afflicted. When the Pharaoh knew who? Joseph. Yeah. So there is consistency in the Bible. A lot of people want to contradict the Bible that way, but there is no consistency, uh, inconsistency, inconsistency in the Bible, and uh, there is no contradiction in the Bible. But as we think about this story, and uh, as we think about the 390th year now, as Moses kills an Egyptian, and Moses thinks that, hey, God, uh, uh, that my people, the Israelites, will understand that, you know, by uh, uh, God's anointing and God's uh, uh, leadership and through his vessel, which is me, that we will go out of Egypt at this time. But they did not understand. Why? Because he was 40 years early. God's timing, God's fulfillment had to be had to be perfect. And uh, uh, as we think about this story, I think many times that uh, we try to, in every way, go before God, and we try to step in front of God and what he wants to do in his timing. 
But ladies and gentlemen, God will not move. God has his timing and a specific purpose, specific plan, and a specific place. Moses thought that he would deliver the Israelites by God's grace at the age of 40, but that wasn't it. It had to be 40 years later when he was age, at the age of 80. He had to wait 40 years. You know, uh, God has his timing, and he will do it at his time. God is sovereign over his time. Ecclesiastes 3.11, let's read this together. It says here, let's read it together, ready? He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Wow. So we can never find out, surely, all the details, what God does from the beginning to the end. Because he makes everything beautiful in his time. In his time. You might be waiting for something today. It might be God's purpose for your life, but it's God's purpose for you to wait as well. It's God's purpose for you to patiently wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 14. Let's read this together as well. Let's take it to our heart. Ready? Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. He will strengthen your heart. You know, that's the bottom line. God wants to revive our hearts, renew our hearts. The place where all the decisions and all the perception happens, our hearts. God is interested in the heart, not the circumstances, really. God is interested in renewing you during this time and guiding you. So wait on the Lord. Be a faithful Christian man and woman and wait on him. God is sovereign over his time. Number three, the journey of God's sovereign plan. Exodus 3, 8. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the physician and bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large and to a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, God calls Moses at the age of 80, the right timing, and he promises Moses and the Israelites a promised land, the land of Canaan. But does Moses go in the promised land at the end? Yes or no? No, he does not. Moses inquired about this a few times. If you want to look on the screen, Deuteronomy chapter 3. But the Lord was wrought with me for your sakes, and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. Get thee up into Mount Pigsah, and lift up thine eyes westward, and northward, and southward, and eastward. And uh, behold it with thine eyes, for thou shalt not go over this Jordan. I don't know why God does that to Moses. Huh? Go up there and look everywhere. You're not going. <laughs> and, uh, but God, God knows. God knows. God knows what he is doing. And, uh, you know, as we think about this uh, end for Moses, I'm sure he was excited as he heard in Exodus chapter 3. Wow, God's going to now deliver our people back to the promised land. I'm going to be there with them. He didn't know that it would take another 40 years to do it. He didn't know that the spies would come back and give a, you know, faithless report. He didn't know that he had to endure the older generation and just go through all these heartaches and and trials. And at the end, he looks toward the promised land over Jordan, and he can't go because rather than speaking to the rock, he smote the rock. By the way, that marred the picture of Christ. 
rock is Jesus Christ, and he smote the rock before to get water out, remember? That's a picture of Christ's crucifixion. But the second coming, he won't be smitten. Okay. So, by the word of God, okay, he will come. And, uh, but anyways, with that in mind, so Moses can't go. And uh, as we think about this story, you know, there's some things that you want in your life. God will say no, and that's God's will. God's people say. It's God's will. I thought about something, and I think it's a very spiritual thing to do. But God said no. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's not yet or no, but God said no at this time. He's not showing me anything that tells me I need to do this. And it's a spiritual thing. It's not an evil thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. But God says no. And ladies and gentlemen, when God says no, just embrace that and and go with this plan. And God will not move. I think about Job 9, 12. Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, what doest thou? How could we ever hinder God from what he wants to do? And what he wants to give? And what he wants to take away? God will fulfill all his desire and plan. No one ever can win against him. You know, during the U.S. Civil War, Abraham Lincoln met with a group of ministers for a prayer breakfast. And Lincoln was not a really faithful churchgoer, but he was a man of deep thought and and a deep faith, I guess. And at one point, one of the ministers said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. And Lincoln's response showed far greater insight. He said, no, gentlemen, let us pray that we are on God's side. If you're on God's side, you're fine. Just be on God's side, even though you don't agree at the moment. A poem read, a poem reads, I'm sorry, God's plan will always be how he ruthlessly perfects. Whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him, and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. Ah, his tortured heart is crying, he lives beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks, with his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses, and with every purpose he moves. But every act he induces to try his splendor, for God knows what he is doing. You know, God knows what he is doing in your life today, and do not go against him. Just follow him. Just follow him. I knew about Moses not going to promised land, but I remember one time a preacher said about Moses, he did go to the promised land. I said, what do you mean? He mentioned Mount Transfiguration. And when Jesus showed up and uh, to the disciples, as who he was and who he is. And he was with Elijah and also who? With Moses. Moses was there. He did go to the promised land. In every way, God has his purpose. And some people believe that Moses will come back at the, the tribulation time as the two witnesses. It could be. But God has different timing for everyone. And ladies and gentlemen, just wait on the Lord. And know that he's sovereign today.